Welcome back again. Episode. What are we on now? Forty nine. Uh, Forty nine. We pulled. We pulled the intro off right because I didn't let Brandon or Brian do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, gotta miss that I, thing. Once I didn't actually. Now. You're still a little quiet, too, Jordan. Am I? Yeah, you're a little quiet. Oh. Yeah. What, am I talking? But no, uh, Jordan said he's gonna miss it because we just filmed our official intro that we've been talking about for eight months yesterday, yep. and uh, hopefully in a few weeks we'll have that, and uh, it'll actually be cool. Uh, Michigan brews theme shit, not some uh, random audio clip with a black screen. So, anyway, as you can see, uh, we're joined by Brandon Savro, uh, Savo, Savo, Savo. I should have asked you that before we went on air. Uh, Sabo, but Sabo said Sabo or uh, Savo. <laughs> yeah, uh, Savo is what point, kind of just like yeah. yeah. Yeah, Sabro's what's sucking yeah, actually, my head. Actually, the hot that here was going to have Sabro on it too. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, perfect. perfect. Nice. Um, so uh, you're the, uh, the the head brewer for Ascension Brewing Company out of Nova, right? And I really appreciate you yes, coming I on am. and hanging um, out with us tonight. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, this this is actually my first podcast. I've been looking forward to this the past couple of days. I'm uh, kind of excited about this one. Right on, right on. Um, so tell us a little bit about Ascension. Um, like I said that beforehand, I, I tried to do some digging. I didn't find out too much. So uh, give us a little bit of background on your brewery. We actually opened in July of 2015. And I've uh, been kind of putting along for the past five years, uh, actually six years now coming up. The past year and a half have been pretty interesting for us and probably the entire brewing industry, if not the restaurant industry in itself too. Um, but uh, we are a very small brewery as of right now. Uh, we have a 3.5 barrel system, and uh, it's brewed on three times per day. Um, we have a total of 17 fermenters in our basement fermentation area, and they range in size from three barrel to 10 barrel, uh, mostly being 10 barrel. Um, then we have a small canning line, so we're able to actually get out to our customer base, um, you know, into some stores around us locally. Um, I do know that we're in a Traverse City area occasionally, and uh, up in the Gaylord area because I like going fishing up there. So some stores carry the stuff up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just we like having fun and doing stupid things at our work. We never actually really work, I like to say. That's awesome. Now, did you start with the brewery or um, were they around before you, you came in? So yes, I've been there since day one. Um, awesome. I started there. We had basically nine plastic fermenters and uh kind of just made things work it was it was a really interesting situation we uh started with very little money um barely enough to keep the lights on for the first month and uh the operation just kind of took off from there we kind of learned as we went which is kind of the home brewer way i mean everybody there started as a home brewer and not only for professional brewers and we started out and we just kind of learned <laughs> made it work right on you know, we don't how'd have you, much uh, money. You get into home brewing? I have to. Yeah. Um. So oddly enough, my parents got me a homebrew kit when I was 16 years old, and uh, yeah, uh, the rule was nice. We're at home, <laughs> so it kind of stuck with me for a while. And then through college, did a little while for a little bit, and uh, never really thought I was in a, a brewing job per se ever. And then I just kind of fell into one one day. I just don't know how it happened. 
Um, but it was an interesting experience to start out from a brewery from day one and kind of see it, you know, go from what it was to what it is to what it's possibly going to be in the next, you know, few months here. It's kind of exciting. Is your, uh, is your canning line in your basement too? Yeah. Or, um, where, where do you, I was going to ask where you fit story. that in. Okay. Um, uh, we have a little like elevator. It's something that we built out of a winch <laughs> system that we're able to lift about 1500 pounds. But our one issue is that we have a 48 by 48 inch area that we're able to drop in through. And then we have a 44 inch door. So all our fermenters are dropped in that way. And it's literally impossible finding fermenters that are in that size range in a 10 barrel size. Uh, it took us two years to find one and it was out of Austria, out of all places, but it is a fully jacketed, um, pressurized fermenter. It will hold 60 PSI if you really trust it, but, um, we don't really try to put more than 20 into it. Uh, yeah. Um, our canning line went down the stairs in two pieces. Wow. <laughs> so you said you got a 48 by 48 inch hole. Uh, or, or entry on there. So, I mean, are you, uh, that's about the size of a pallet, right? Like, how are you transporting that stuff up? Case yeah, basically, case? Um, um, I'll give you an example. We get grain deliveries every 14 days and it's about 9,000 pounds. And um, we get dropped off in the back of our building. And it's me and three other guys that carry bags up the flight of stairs, oh, down a flight of stairs, actually in the parking lot, up a flight of stairs into the building, down two flights of stairs <laughs> in the basement, and then back a hundred into the grain room. It gets milled back there, then back up that exact same way to the brew house. So 9,000 pounds every two weeks that way, there and back. It's, it's a fun little one. Shape. Stay in shape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't gain weight. I drink a lot of beer. I don't know how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All that grain carrying, man. It's the crazy brewer workout on top of the crazy brewer diet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they balance each other out. It literally is. All in balance. Yep. All right. What Cuppa taught me is I could really live off a beer for a while. So we missed the, the most important thing because we jumped right in. Uh, what are you drinking? What, what's you got, what do you got in the glass? <laughs> uh, so actually, I got to double check. I have a beer called Leverage and Angles. I have the uh, that rip off brewer's can. These are like the reject cans with a special label on it. But, um, if I recall, I want to say it's cashmere and um, citra or cashmere and Columbus dry hop, uh, New England style IPA. Um, it's almost like grapefruit juice right now. It's just over a month and a half old um, in the can, which it's getting pretty interesting now. Are those the sort of styles that you uh, started off brewing there or has the beer sort of like evolved like over the years since you've been open or I started in this industry when the whole craze of the highest IBU and the highest alcohol thing was just taking off and sure. you know McKellar had their thousand IBU IPA if you guys remember that one um, it would kind of tear the paint off of you know a wall or <laughs> the taste buds off the top of your tongue and that was really the beers that were were big and popular when I first got into the, the commercial industry, the, the brewing industry. And we started off with our tap list being basically all like high gravity West Coast style IPAs, barley wines, you know, in your traditional wheat beers. 
I was actually almost a very traditional um, tap list at the time. Um, and then mm -hmm. about three years ago, I want to say three and a half years ago, um, no, actually longer than that, four years ago now, it's July 2016, five years now at this point, um, that we actually took a jump into doing more like hot styles. Um, I ended up taking a trip out to the East Coast in early 2015 um, to the CBC conference. And uh, I got introduced to a lot of very interesting up and coming styles that kind of were grabbing my attention. And, uh, you know, trading some of the homebrew, I was very familiar with the Alchemist, which everybody at the time was going crazy for. Mm -hmm. And then True House was just starting to pop into the, the scene. Um, so it was meeting all those people there, getting to try their beers. And it was like, wow, this is kind of a new trend. And seeing the lines at that conference to bars that had these beers, it was mind opening. It was weird. I'd never seen that before in the industry. <laughs> so it was kind of like, okay, how do we get this style back into Michigan? This would be interesting to see if it would take on here. And um, breweries like Transient, Old, uh, Old Nation, I mean, between those two breweries, it's really blew it up in Michigan. So it was yeah, right yeah. at the right time, right at the right place. It was just kind of, why not? And it's, it's fun, but my true style is why I like drinking is lagers. Like crispy bloggers. I mean, you go to my brewery, guys, my uh, regular guys, and the same thing. But yeah, are you brewing a lot of those right now? Uh, so we are really starting to focus a lot of attention on them. It's okay. kind of a new way of the industry we're looking at, and we're kind of excited about it because we're like, yes, beer, we can finally drink and drink a lot of and not feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> when I started homebrewing, I was really big on the. Uh, the, the big stouts and the big fruit beers and then uh, the the IPAs and stuff like that. And now that I'm, you know, eight, nine years into it and all I want and all I want to brew is, is beer, just, just beer, beer, nice crisp lagers, yeah. uh, easy drinking bitters. Um, yeah. And, and it was funny cause I was just talking to a, a guy that, that used to, that worked for Imperial for 25 years. And we were talking about the, uh, you know, we're, I think both sitting there drinking a, like a founder solid gold or something and talking about why or uh, that there needs to be more, you know, good craft loggers um, out there. You know, I mean, there's, there's a few, um, but it would be nice to be able to go into every brewery and actually have a logger option. <laughs> so I agree. You'd be probably seeing more and more pop up hopefully soon from more breweries. It seems the trends are starting to pop on. Um, I don't know if you ever came across a beer stat logger. Uh, out of Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's life changing. I mean, really? Oh, it was some oh. of the best beer I've ever had in my entire life. What was it again? Beer stock. You broke up for Beer stock? Okay. Yeah, beer stock. Right on. Um,. But you guys, uh, when I was there a few weeks ago, it seems like you're you're kind of keeping up with the, the trends. I saw several seltzers, several uh, like fruit smoothie type beers, like um, some sour based beers or whatever. You guys having fun? With, see, it looks like you're having fun with that. We're having fun with them. Well, we do it more for the masses. I truthfully don't enjoy the drinking those beers myself as much, um, but. I do prefer the more traditional sours, but I feel like the industry is kind of slowly going away from those, which is kind of a, you know, a little 
it to my heart. But we're trying <laughs> to keep up with you know making beer sales, being able to invest more money into buying more equipment to make more beer. So we kind of have to follow the trends. Um, but with following the trends allows us to then spend more money to do the projects that we actually want to do, and then a little side 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 projects that you know you might not be able to afford if you didn't do the the stuff that people are want that people wanted. That makes and, sense. Yeah, okay. You know, it's kind of like selling out, but at the long term, you're paying the bills and you have a little extra money to work with. So it's there's no selling. It's kind out. of do that. necessary. Yeah. Thing yeah. To do. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, I mean, you can't sell out. I mean, I still enjoy system. brewing those beers. It's it's still a hard. Those are hard to make. They're just not as fun as making a lager or making a good stout or making a great saison. And nothing's more fun than brewing a saison. In my opinion. Really? Oh, do you think? Okay. Do you think it's just like the? Yep. Uh, like the the challenge, like the 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 nothing to hide, you know, sort of attitude and and, and sort of the pride that comes along, like you in know, the back end of just like having this like excellent it's beer. The style so perfected for so long, like lagers, any German traditional German lager, like old saison, who's Flambic farmhouse beer. Um, I've brewed I don't know, thirty or forty or fifty or sixty of them in different batches, and I've never really been happy with any one of them until recently. And it's in a lot of practice. There's a lot of things you just can't cover up. You, you screw up and taste it right away. And especially being a brewer, as you guys know, you know, homebrew or even on a small commercial scale, you, you're really hard against yourself. So like any minute thing you don't like about it, you're really, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Do you, are you still like a, are you still homebrewing at home or anything like that? Or is it just like a, not enough, not enough time, not enough. You, you brew three times a day on your system already. You know, it's funny that I get asked the question if I brew at home. I get home and I, the last thing I want to see is the brew house almost. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because COVID forced me to pick up another hobby. And my hobby was brewing before you know I got into brewing. And um, I really took it seriously. So I didn't have a hobby for almost five years. And I didn't really realize that until COVID happened. And I was sitting around like, you know, I don't really have anything to do. Like, what, what do I want to do? And I was like looking back as a kid, like what I like, and I like, I like fishing. So grabbed a fishing pole and went yeah. out, and now I'm kind of hooked to that. It's kind of like oh, a little science yeah, yeah. at this point. <laughs> speaking speak my language. I was actually it was yeah, on my know, list of things. Uh, as I was as I was trying to dig up uh, stuff on you this last week, I I think I came across your Facebook page and saw all the fly fishing, uh, all the pictures of trout, and I was like, oh shit, Jordan's gonna. Gonna, gonna oh pick up on shit! That, so. Shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Machine yeah, streams. There's a side show. I do really bad hobby. Yeah, no, it's not bad. It's, I'm literally it's talking off my fly tying table right now. That's. I was just gonna ask if you tie. If you yeah, if you tie your own flies, that's awesome. That's a whole other hobby in and of, in and of itself. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, it's a bad hobby. Oh, you nice. went ham. You went ham, man. But, you know, wow. a lot of shit. It's a good relaxation. You're on the stream, you know, drinking a beer, and casting. Hell yeah! It's a good way to get, oh, yeah. of, get away from normal life. Oh, yep, one hundred percent. I agree with you, one hundred percent. We uh, yeah, it's, we started, you know, home brewing and stuff too much or so much during the the 
the uh, quarantine and stuff like that that we picked this up, I guess, maybe as a, a mini hobby too or something. <laughs> it was. We, we missed the beer meetings and missed hanging out at the bar. So we started uh, drinking virtually online. It was, this was just an excuse to drink. So thanks for joining us and helping us. Uh, you know, <laughs> feed our lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I haven't seen any of the festivals, and it's like it's all the festivals starting to happen again. It's like, whoa, life again. Yeah. I mean, the, the um, Michigan Brewers Festival is like one after another, after another, after another, after another for a solid month and a half. It's going to be a fun time. And I saw that the uh, Home Brewers Festival is happening again this year, which that's been a while for me for that one, but I, that's one hell of a festival. That is near and dear to our hearts, uh, very much so. <laughs> Man. We're, we're very excited about um, MHF. Uh, that's our beer Christmas or all of our favorite holidays rolled into one right there. So, so yeah, that's out in your area. Uh, even though you're a pro brewer, man, stop by and drink some homebrew. It's still, uh, I will have to, it's been probably, I was there in 2014. I think it was last time. I need to make a neck out to that. Uh, I was kind of hanging out with the sons of Liberty back in the day, uh, during yeah. you know, that festival time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, beer. that's, that's probably, I mean, that's how we got connected with you is because, you know, we were hanging out with Lee and Jeff, uh, actually talking about MHF. And uh, um, after the show, uh, after that show, we were, I was telling Lee and, and those guys, I'm like, hey, if you know anybody that we should hook up with and, and chat with, and, you know, we do this all organically. So um, we're not always uh, out there, like trying to drum up new business. It just kind of flows through. This is a hobby. Like, you know, we just said it's, it's, it's not a business for us. So, um, yeah, Lee, Lee from Sons of Liberty connected, uh, us together and I appreciate that, but I like hanging out with Sons of Liberty too. <laughs> good, good guys, good beer. It's always a good party, especially when there's Humper involved. Hell yeah. Yeah. So on your beer, man, you guys got I, any I, fun I, projects you guys are working on? Oh, it's been working, um, getting ready for competitions, you know, so in the, in the homebrew space, um, you know, we do Michigan beer cup, Michigan state fair, uh, Glenn cap. That's those are all coming on. So that's what we're working on. Um, Brian just took his first uh, national homebrew competition medal, uh, a couple weeks ago. Yep. Congratulations. <laughs> um, Thanks. so that's, that's our focus. I think, um, uh, Oh, I was I was just gonna say I uh, and probably you, you're speaking of you know sours and stuff like that, and I think um, probably about like 18 months ago I started really getting into uh, doing like mixed fermentation, you know, sours and stuff like that, and blending and and that sort of stuff. And I, I probably have like 10 kegs worth of like random sours in my basement right now uh, for like blending and stuff. That's actually what this is for. It's American Wild Ale. Um, nice. So that's that's kind of been my new passion project is blending the labor and sours and stuff like yeah that. it is it is yeah. yeah you you can you can create beer you know that is pretty much impossible to create otherwise you can't just like ferment a beer that tastes like that right you can never make it unless like you combine a couple things together and i think there's something very cool about that um yeah i don't know so that and that and mead for me i've been getting into mead a little bit too so it's been and personal projects. Mead is, is a hard one for me. Have you guys done? Are you doing any cider wine? Successful. We're 
in the process this of what I'm doing yeah. and why I'm making license. And um, hmm. I mean, we'll play with the idea. I just don't know if I have the time to actually focus as much as I'd like to on it. So I don't know how we're going to go forward once we do get it. Just kind of something that was an option for us. Like, oh, you know, it's it's there to do. Why not have license? And you know, if everyone wants to really stick into it and try to do it, we can. Um, I worked at a home brewing shop for a couple of years and taught people how to make cider and wine. And you know, had experience, done it before, but just never in a big, large scale, and never on a you know, like very high end scale. So it's yeah, it's not something I consider myself an expert on. Uh, it's it's no, something yeah. that people that make <laughs> cider they're very passionate about it, and they don't tell you their secrets. And they're very tight lipped, not like brewers. Brewers will tell you everything. It's it's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a guy uh, up in Grand Rapids. He's part of uh, what's that club, Jason? Uh, Either Is it is is it Primetime or KGB? I can't remember. But he's taken gold, like cider maker of the year in NHC, like six times now. I think he just took it again this year. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever had his stuff, but you you have to imagine that like, yeah, you know something that other people don't know. You have to know yeah. your stuff, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's we had our uh, form. It really is. We have we've had Andrew Blake on the show before, and to talk about cider, and and he went, you know, I think our experience with cider is get apple juice from the orchard and you know put some yeast in it and call it cider mm-hmm. and. And then to talk to him and, you know, they're, they're doing with cider what we do with beer. You know, they're blending multiple varieties together in different, you know, uh, proportions, just like we would do with malts and stuff. So it's it's definitely an art form that you know, we have no clue on. So good luck to you if you if you decide to broach into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, have some I didn't even know that many kind of the apples well, existed. cider, man. But, yeah. It's not something yeah. I'm, I'm, what Costa Rica? I'm excited to get my hands more into it, but I'm kind of still sticking to the brewing side. Right. Sure. Yeah. So what was that about uh, the, the brewing Costa Rica? Is that monkey hand? I, I have some friends down there that oh, have two breweries that it's, it's fun going down there and watching how they brew down there because it's entertaining. Um, the supply chain like we have in the United States where we can get malt from anywhere. You have 10 different yeast companies. Um, you go down there and you want to buy some yeast and it's like, <laughs> well, it doesn't exist. Or if it does, <laughs> it's two-year-old SO4, SO5s. Yeah, you kind of work with what you have. Oh. So it's, it's really interesting to watch how they work down there. And uh, I was down there for about a month and a half just before COVID, uh, helping a friend open his brewery and cidery up down there. And, it's a challenge. There's no Home Depots. There's no UPS. There's no mailing anything. You want to get something shipped? It doesn't happen. You need parts oh, for crazy. something. You got to make it yourself. Yeah, it's it's a one. Do you have like a three open experience? And you come back to here. <laughs> that's actually not a bad idea because truthfully, that's a good thing to have on his list there. The repair things because we need the repair and better form as brew houses. And his brew house is like a home brew kind of brew house. It's you know. It's mm-hmm. a one barrel stout tank style system. And it's the igniter we can go to any like Home Depot and buy off the shelf. Down there, we got quoted like $25 for the igniter, $600 to ship it. <laughs> oh, <wow. Yeah>, it's <laughs> not a really 
really fun moment. So we had to make things work. You know, you, you're sticking your hands in there with a torch and trying to light it that way. It's not the greatest thing to be your two hours from the hospital. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, is there, is there, um, is craft beer taken off down there though? Like, like here? I mean, oh, it's huge. It's really, it's in its infancy and it's fun to watch. It's like us 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's, it's so cool. And I, I enjoyed being down there because there's a, um, a brewery in just outside of Playa's Del Coco. And uh, the guy's from Texas. His name is James. I think his name is James. And uh, he is doing absolutely phenomenal beers down there that are just beautiful. And they're very local ingredients. Um, it, it's hard to explain unless you go there. And it's a beautiful location. He's making so much beer right now that he can't expand fast enough. Um, since I was there last a year and a half ago, I think they've opened up another 20 more breweries. And then right next to the airport where I fly out from, there's two breweries. I mean, you can't walk more than five feet from the airport and hit a brewery. It's the coolest thing ever. That is awesome. So it's kind of cool to see the state of craft beer expand outside the United States and kind of take hold. It's, you know, bang on the big boys because down there, it's the big boys. That was all it was for 100 years. Yeah. What, yeah. what are they into? What uh, what do they want to drink down there right now? You know, the sour revolution is taking over. The heavily fruited sours are okay. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's, it's so where, cool. Where plus, this, yeah. uh, Go ahead. Is that? I'm sorry. I think you're. I know you're fine. I think you're lagging a little bit behind us. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes uh, we're crossing streams a little bit. But go ahead. <coughs> um, yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, on the topic of sours, let's get back to ascension. I see you guys. Uh, I see you guys doing um, just all kinds of crazy big additions in your beers. Like, I mean, um, I think uh, I, I'm trying to remember some of the beers when I was there, you know, the, the just heavily fruited, like the key lime, uh, key lime pie was, was pretty interesting and amazing. But then I also see pictures on, on your feed yeah. of, of like hundreds of pounds of cinnamon rolls and, and shit like that. I mean, you guys, uh, has it always been, you know, like go big or go home with you guys or? <laughs> well, um, so, you know, it, it started with the stupid beer that I made about four years ago called School Tour. Um, we were trying to step away from the normal realms of things. And I, it was like three, four o'clock in the morning at the brewery. And I had to do my first batch of the day. And my assistant at the time, we were eating Fruit Loops. And I'm going, I am so like tired and just burnt out right now. I'm going to make a beer out of freaking Fruit Loops just to show the boss, you know, you know go off and F off. <laughs> the joke kind of stayed there and became an idea. So one day I ended up brewing a beer with Fruit Loops, 200 pounds of Fruit Loops, uh, 100 pounds of marshmallows, <laughs> 25 pounds of applesauce, 35 pounds of lactose, you know, 50 pounds of galaxy hops. When he got the bill for it, he was flipping out. He goes, if this doesn't sell, I'm going to kill you, and you're not longer here anymore. And I was just oh, I was too excited about that night. And the next day, we had a can release, and we sold out of it in, I think, like 45 minutes. So it 
was like, okay, you have free reign, do what you want, have fun, just don't be too stupid. And the stupid part, yeah, it's pushable. I, mean, I think the worst thing we've ever done is put 500 pounds of um, Sour Patch Kids in the beard. I think the worst thing. Did that not like, like taste-wise or cleaning-wise, yeah. Uh, it turned out, it's just, I felt bad about doing that. There was something wrong about seeing that much Sour Patch Kids in the bottom of a fermenter. After you're done emptying <laughs> out the tank, did you try to eat them? They taste uh, with all the sugar gone. Actually, yeah, like it tastes really weird. There's no flavor. It's just gelatin. It's, it's the weirdest thing. The gelatin. The crowds in the tank is this weird blue color. It doesn't go away. <laughs> so what was? Because Fruit Loop beer is near and dear to my heart. So what was? What was your style? What was? What was the base on that? Um, or. Yeah, it was a double IPA, uh, New England style, milkshake style. Uh, I guess before milkshakes really existed, it was just like, what can we throw in this beer to piss people off? And it was kind of that it. And it actually turned out palatable and good. <laughs> people have asked me to this day to make it again. I made it three times, I think, since we made the first batch, and I've just kind of brushed it off the past year and a half. <laughs> I'm so bad about making that beer. <laughs> You know, so my story is I, I started out as a straight joke. Well, we had a, a <laughs> cereal beer competition in our club where we each had to beer, brew a, a beer with a box of cereal, and I picked Fruit Loops, and I did a Berliner Weiss. Um, and, and, yeah. and it it did well. Um, I even uh, I even took and cooked down a bo another box of Fruit Loops and made a syrup, you know, so it could be like a traditional Berliner Weiss style. Or you could put some Fruit Loop syrup in it. What kind of weird color was that syrup? Uh, murky, dark gray. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, that, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's the thing is, as I, 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 somewhere I have pictures of you know, through this fermentation process of my Fruit Loop beer. It like came out dishwater, you know, gray, uh, you know, and then I, I think you know in the first boil, like some of the. Um, the reds dropped out. So I was left with this like ectoplasm green uh, color. And then, you know, some of the, some of the blues fell out and it was like this bright yellow. Um, and then when I finally crashed it and, and kegged it, it was this beautiful pale straw color Berliner Weiss, you know, it's fine. Um, but watching yeah, that I, transition. That's exactly how ours turned out too. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? So you, when you clean the fermenter out, it was that weird blue crowds in there that like just yeah. didn't look right. Yeah, yeah. And was, every time I see them, I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. That's a lot of it was. Um, so <laughs> it, it was it was unique, but you know what? It, it, the beer did really well. As a joke, I sent it to nationals, uh, and it, and it placed in in the first round. It got a medal uh, or it got a ribbon. Um, awesome. It it went on to win like two or three other gold medals. Uh, and the one time that I brewed it without the Fruit Loops. It sucked. So, um, <laughs> like the secret ingredient, then. So yeah, I've had to rebrew it, and I just keep going back to it. And I, I, yeah, I have to, uh, I have to do it with the Fruit Loops. It's 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 like a curse because um, it's stupid, but yeah. You uh, that's funny. You have feedback somewhere that says a uh, cocoa puffs in perfect example of the style. Yeah. Um, I've had cocoa puff beers. I've had I've had other breweries do cocoa puff beers, and um, 
how did yours turn out? Like, did, did you think it was fakey cocoa or? The, truthfully, none of the flavor really came out of it. It was mostly it, the hops overpowered mm -hmm. everything. So we did an IPA again and it was faintly there, but not really it's kind of hard to explain. Wasn't bad. It was actually decent, but yeah. Um, if I probably do it again, it'd be a stout. I guess it'd be the most common yeah. way of using cocoa puffs in a beer. I mean, we've also put in 69 pounds of uh, uh, mess click in a beer before it actually turned out probable and decently good. I, I saw the picture of the Nesquik. I saw the, the picture of hundreds of pounds of cinnamon rolls. Um, and, and are you you're doing, when you're doing these big additions, you're just doing it right in the fermenter? So we're doing it in secondary. So we'll transfer off right. the yeast um, once the beer is basically conditioned and more stable. And then when we're doing beers like this, we're trying to make sure that they're high gravity. They're really not going to ferment the yeast itself. is more stable that way or deteriorate out of it, the beer itself. Um, but unlike our fruited sours, um, we do make sure, you know, in the future, we're going to have a way of actually, you know, making sure there's no refermentation. But with our fruit sours, we kind of have to keep them cold. Um, there's really no way to absolutely stabilize them without you know, pasteurizing them and making sure yeah. they won't explode. But on, um, you know, our, our really heavily adjuncted stouts, the stouts are they're completely fermented out to the point that the yeast isn't going to react and reset up again unless we get some wild yeast infection into it that can survive a, you know, a 1100 gravity stout. It's, it's really <laughs> weird. Nothing can really grow when there's that much sugar left over in it. Even yeast like no. Nottingham is like, I don't want any part of that. It's, it's kind of funny. Well, I mean, that's you're the final gravity on some of your Yeah, uh, we've actually had them in 1120s. 1130s have been the highest we've ever seen. Wow. The highest starting I had was 1260. Holy, how do you even get like a, how do you get the yeast going at, at such a high gravity? <laughs> Will it just so go? So we use a multitude like, of yeast. And use an extra nutrient? Nottingham, okay. Nottingham's a great yeast to start out with. We've, we have a generation that's old and has been around forever. And then we also blend it with a few other yeast varieties that we use in-house. We have a house strand that's been around for two years, almost since the beginning of COVID, or actually before the beginning of COVID. Um, the problem we had is COVID shut the whole industry down. We couldn't get different suppliers. Our yeast company shut down. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luckily, we had a biologist as one of our brewers who, you know, has got a bachelor's and a master's in biology and microbiology. He's like, I can, I can do this. And at one point, we were spending four grand a month on yeast. Um, he now allows us to get around for like sixty-five dollars a month by our yeast program. And <laughs> wow. we've had the same pitch of yeast since being a COVID, and it actually has gotten better and more responsive and more consistent. It's, it's kind of crazy to see now. So we think. We know exactly what the yeast is going to do with what gravity, with what day of dry hopping. We know what's going to finish, what, what time. It's it's cool to see yeast kind of go through its generations and finally kind of get into its own and take on your house flavor. Um, we've noticed with this yeast, it was, you know, it's it's originally British 5 from Omega. And just using it through all generations, it's become more fermentation, higher gravity resistance. So we've seen as high as 14% out of it, 15%. So we're eventually hoping to take it full bore onto our next religious project, which is you know 16 to 18 percent, and we'll be able to actually push it a little higher. 
And if we can do that with it, we'll get rid of the Nottingham out of the, the program, which has kind of been the goal for the past couple of years. But it's hard to find a yeast that gets high enough. Yeah, that's city so like. Do uh, you start off with the Nottingham and then maybe like two days later, like pitch the rest of the yeast, or do you have like a certain like gravity target that you needed to reach? We pitch them together. Or? Oh, okay. Uh, we don't know. We we found that we've done that before, but they we get a stall because. You know, no, no yeast likes being pitched two, two days into a fermentation. Uh, there's just not enough oxygen yeah, there okay. for it to actually go into a regenerative cycle. Um, so we pitch them together, you know, we find that there's not much fighting, I want to say, but we do get, you know, the flavor both within the beer, so we know they're both doing something. Um, we originally started out with just 100% Nottingham, and it was, it was okay, it's just there's something missing. And incorporating British Five or Burlington or a few other strands that we played with into it is kind of add a little edge and kind of create some more, not fusels, but cleaner flavor, I want to say. Right on. No, that's interesting. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it, you're, you've already got, and these beers are probably hitting, what, high eights and nines or above? And then stalling. I mean, uh, alcohol. You're finishing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the highest I've ever seen fermentation wise is twenty percent. I've never seen anything higher than that. I've never tried, truthfully. Oh no, I'm, I'm talking about when you're finishing out at like ten. Uh, or I'm sorry, eleven twenty. Ten ninety. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've already got a lot of alcohol in suspension there. You've got a lot of sugar. Like you said, it's gonna. It's there's no really and no chance can, of fermentation re-fermentation there's a small chance in wild yeast or lacto or brett brett is a wonderful creature does a lot of interesting things if you let it wild um but yeah there's really not much chance for anything to live once you're at that high gravity and then what we tend to do is we'll even back sweeten so like if we'll get down to 1090 and we add the adjuncts in so the adjuncts being you know cinnamon rolls brown sugar i mean those adjuncts can back sweeten it back up the yeast won't eat that, but also becomes so sugary of an environment that really nothing wants to survive in it. It's just, it's almost like syrup yeah. at that point. So what, what, uh, what, what, what big things are you working on right now? Or do you have anything uh, cool coming up or coming out uh, at the brewery? Um, and we have a lot of things going on. Um, Sadly, we had, with that rainstorm about three weeks ago, we lost power for an entire weekend. On top of that, it flooded our basement, took out our glycol system. So I lost three beers, and one of them was my house that I was so excited for. And uh, that one kind of hurt for a solid week and a half after. I didn't sleep very well for a while. It was my baby. Um, decoction mash, two days of solid work uh, on the blue side, and then... The, like, but I was going back that day to go package it, and it was like at 100 degrees. I walk into the room, just like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. When that got poured down the drain, I cried a little bit. But uh, the new stuff we have coming out, um, we actually have a strawberry shortcake sour coming out that we just got done fruiting on Friday. That's gonna be pretty interesting. Um, and then I just brewed a rice lager last week, which I'm kind of excited for. Um, and then 
again, another sour, I think we brewed this weekend. I can't remember exactly which one it is. My, uh, one of my other brewers, it's his project. So he's uh, manning this one. And uh, I haven't been there today because I'm working on another project that we're, we're currently working on. So tomorrow morning, I walk into the firm and see what it is. I'm be excited, I think. Sweet. I, uh, I'm really sorry to hear about that. Yeah, that, that really sucks. Like, like, like it wasn't salvageable in, in the slightest. Like you tried the Hellas and it was just like, not well, good or... so when the system fired back up, it lost all three on, I guess it, it caused something to go bad mm -hmm. the presser, but the actual glycol pumps kept on pumping. So the glycol that was going through the system was heating up by the pump. And oh, what happens no. is, is if the tank turns on wanting to cool, it doesn't actually cool, it heats up, so it never actually turns back off. So when I got back in there, it was at 101 degrees, and we tried it, it just, there's no going back once it happens. It's like drinking a bottle of skunk beer from yeah. a grocery store shelf, basically at that point. It was, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's two months of work down the drain, you know, less than 48 hours. Oh, yeah, I would that's cry. Like, I mean, yeah, we're not going into work on Sunday. It's uh, it's bad enough, you know, dumping five gallons that, that you worked on for an afternoon, uh, having to dump all of that. I think I'd cry. Yeah. It's another reason why I don't want to be a pro. Was, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there are some days where you don't mind pitching beer down the drain, but there's other days where you're like, oh, this is just not a good day. And it was just not that one beer. We had lost three other beers that day, which were production yeah. beers that weren't really that problematic, but it still hurt. It was just. It was a solid, you know, three days of actual sweat on the brew house. That was, I always go back to uh, that Netflix yes. show with uh, Dogfish Head, where they dumped a million gallon or a million dollars worth of one twenty. So, no, oh, I never saw yeah. that. I mean, yeah, that was a great days. show. I, that show, I really that 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 came out right at the prime time for me because when I saw that show for the first time, it was like. Great when I found out about Dogfish in nine minutes. So I was like, oh, whoa, this TV show has a beer I just found out about. I like this. <laughs> and uh, that was one of the first episodes that I actually caught was that one. I remember it very well. And that was actually what kind of pushed me towards the craft beer industry was, was when he showed his feeders at that, on that show. And I was like, what are those oak tanks? I really want to use one of those one day. And right, maybe I will one day. I'm not sure yet, hopefully. You don't have any fooders then there? Not yet. <laughs> uh, sadly, to get a fooder in my basement would not be an easy, easy task. I, I've I've measured it out. I've come like very close to actually push, you know, making the perch. But it, it it just doesn't make any sense. The biggest I can get down there six barrels for us. Six barrels would last us a couple of days. So it'd be hard right. to watch something that I've spent the most time with the last not very long. So I'm hoping in the next year maybe we can get a feeder on a larger scale. And nothing's set in stone yet, so. Um, COVID's kind of helped out. I mean, we, uh, we sold a lot of beer during COVID. We had very little overhead, so we were able to save some money up and we have some new projects coming and I'm very excited about these projects because it allows us to produce a lot more beer. And, uh, anything you can share, is it all secret, secret? Um, it'll be announced probably in about a month or so, uh, maybe a little less. Okay. And then when it is announced, it won't be very long before it's in a lot of shelves. Right on. Uh, it's, it's Hopefully, it includes a wider distribution into the west side. 
<laughs> uh, we're hoping. Well, we have M4 on board, so M4 is our trusted distributor. So hopefully, we can get some more beer for them. Uh, now, with the reopening from COVID, we were kind of caught off guard with the extra week, and early week and a half of it, and uh, we weren't ready for the influx of people. And so our can production dropped dramatically for the past month. And uh, it's kind of sad to see that because I enjoyed having cans ago. It's kind of all going towards the tap right now. And I think last week was the first time I canned beer in almost a month. So it felt perfect. Wow. wow. So for the last year, that's been like one of the big topics that we talked to a lot of brewers about was how they got through COVID. Um, and I know we've kind of glossed over that, but it, it just... It, your, do you attribute that to your canning line? I mean, you, did you guys just shift over to mostly to-go package sales? So we actually had a great team. Um, when we when COVID first happened, we really did not know what the hell to do. And my guys and me, we all decided that we were just going to you know, basically take ourselves off the clock. We weren't going to work anymore. I'll get paid at least. And um, everybody did that on the brewing side and on the higher management side. And it was a total of four of us. And we basically worked our standard schedule 70 hour weeks during COVID just to make sure the company would get by. And we realized within the first like three weeks of doing this that we were actually making a lot of money because we discovered online sales. And I want to say we we're one of the first breweries in the state to actually sell beer directly online. Um, our lawyer, God save him, uh, helped us. He was like, you know, Michigan, technically, you can sell beer online. 100% legal. There's no reason why you can't do it. And we're like, we were told it was always illegal. Like, no, it's out-of-state sales online are illegal, but in-state sales are perfectly legal. We're just like, really? So we ended up putting on like 250 cases one morning and ended up selling all of them in three minutes. I didn't think it was like 35 seconds. Wow. 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 <laughs> it blew our mind. That's awesome. So uh, we ended up going back on the clock and basically being paid again to being full-time employees again. And from that time on during COVID, I mean, we were just putting beer online, putting beer online, putting beer online. And that kept the company going. It, it, it really, you know, we were, we were much more slim, uh, slimmed down as far as how many people we had in the clock. Um, sure. We had no front of the house. We had no kitchen. Um, you know, the overhead was super low and it was, we're just popping out beer. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a surreal experience. I don't know how to explain because like the tap room was dusty, dirty. There was nobody in it. There was like cobwebs going, but there was tear going out the door. And the canning line, we attest to actually having one. It was life-saving, you know, company-saving experience. If we didn't have that canning line, I don't think we would still be sitting here today. Definitely not. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's I mean amazing to see like at talked to a lot of my friends locally in the brewing industry and they had a really rough go of it. And it's, it was hard for a lot of people. Um, you know, my friends over at drafting table, when I saw Aaron a couple months ago, he had, he went from being, you know, a full head of brown hair to full gray hair in less than a year. And he's the same age as me, 34 years old. And it was definitely a rough experience for him. Um, a few other guys I've seen recently, uh, Mike Kelly out of Ferndale, um, for no project. He was one of my old brewers and uh, he definitely has a full head of gray hair now too. So it's kind of passing on, I guess, from yeah. COVID. We should drink one of their beers right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Ferndale picked there. it up with, uh, they were doing the, um, 
the deliveries. I mean, Brian, I got in on that. Brian's still on it. Uh, so that was a cool, a cool idea. Um, drafting table was and actually the beer delivery last... thing was really interesting. I uh, tagged. Oh, go ahead on the beer delivery. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, no, that, that's a better that's a better line. So what, what were you going to say about the beer delivery? Yeah, it was really cool to see the beer experiences just like I can get beer delivered to my house now and I actually did have Ferndale Project deliver beer to Ascension one time which is kind of a fun little thing to do. <laughs> yeah we did I always gotta get my buddy over uh, to Mike Kelly some crap too. I mean it's a cool idea. I was I was pissed off because um so Brian lives like I don't know 10 miles from me. Um, but I'm one mile over the Kalamazoo County line. So Ferndale wouldn't deliver to me, but they deliver to Brian. So um, I was having him take it to his house. <laughs> it's like, a, it's a little awkward sometimes because their, their delivery vehicle, you know, says like, you know, beer delivery or whatever on the side. And I swear it feels like they're here like every weekend. So I'm like, my neighbors think I'm just like, <laughs> just like, yeah, getting like cases of beer delivered like every week. Like, who do they think I am actually? And then they see me outside in the driveway brewing. And I had an elderly neighbor thinking I was making drugs out there at one point in time. Yeah, I had that. <laughs> well, except for that one time that you probably were making drugs. Yeah. But that, it's all good. <laughs> We don't count that. <laughs> it's funny because like I have uh, neighbors I've never met before that I found out I'm a brewer, and uh, you know, I'm out in the backyard. You know, they'll walk by and like, "Get me some beer." I'm like, uh, "Really? What? Okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> come on." But you know, it's it's funny that you know people don't really like. I've found out people don't really judge you. I guess, especially during COVID, everybody was pretty happy to be just a little buzzed. Yeah. What else did you have to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we, I mean, that's why we started this, right? We just needed to, uh, we felt we need to justify drinking as much as we did. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, truthfully, at our place, we have a kind of a rule about 10 a.m., anything goes. So, one of my brewers pretty much walks in, this shift starts at 10 a.m., you know, pour his first beer at 10 a.m. on that. I look at him like, really? He goes, yeah, I need breakfast. That's we're kind of normal <laughs> drinking pretty consistently at our place. Um, it's not probably a good thing, but usually by midday, I'm usually out there. That's a lot of turkeys, Brandon. That is a lot of turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a picture on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, we were we were in the brewery yesterday morning early filming the the intro for one of our friends' breweries, and I think um, I, I think we were in my truck drinking beer at like 10, 10 a.m. and I, I I felt like shit the rest of the day. I'm like I shouldn't have been doing this. Like you shouldn't get up in the morning and and kick it off hard and heavy. But it's it's like you said, we're the still Michigan Homebrew Festival is about. Yeah, right. Michigan Homebrew Festival is fine. Um, beer, I guess it's it's a it's a good breakfast. It's a balanced meal. So whatever. <laughs> That's what the the Fruit Loops and the Cocoa Puffs beers are for. Absolutely. Yeah. But... <laughs> <Getting your> cereal. 
it's funny because now I'm actually paying attention to what I'm drinking to make sure that I don't do any kind of too much damage to myself in the long run. And I find myself drinking more and more light crispy beers just to make sure yep. I just I can live a little longer. You can't have five or six IPAs in one sitting anymore. No. No, it's like when you know when I first started brewing years ago, it was always, you know, if it wasn't seven, eight percent, I wasn't wasting my time. And now I'm 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 switching that mentality. Bring in the four percenters. Yep. Bring in the rattlers, please. Yep. I get someone hands me a rattler. I'm like, oh, thank you. You're awesome. Uh, I think I just saw somebody talk about a uh, a, a competition uh, that's uh, a low ABV beer competition that's coming up. So it's like it's that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the NA market cool, is yeah. it's exploding right now. There's a huge push. Yeah, in the have NA you had market. any of athletic stuff? Yeah, I have. It's impressive. Um, it's we're so actually seriously looking into doing an NA products in the future here, and. Um, I don't know if I'm excited about it, but I'm kind of intrigued. And I kind of want yeah. to see if we can actually make it taste good. I, I'm a little terrified of the process, but it, it seems doable. Um, there's three or four different ways you can make an NA beer, and some of them are real questionable. Other ones are like, uh, it does seem like it actually is possible and doable. And then there's the scientific way, which I don't, I don't have a degree or the knowledge enough that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my other guys in my team probably do it. I just look at it going, that kind of science is over my head. There you go, Brian. Figure it out. Yeah. All right. Challenge no, I, I, I've heard of, of a few other of the larger craft breweries anyway that are starting to come out with the NA product. And I'm, I'm curious about it. I haven't done a lot of research on it. My first inclination was, you know, just like reboil or something. But, um, Reboil is one of the processes. It's it works pretty well, um, mm-hmm. and it, you can rehop or refruit on top of it to kind of cover the flavor up. Uh, the other process I've seen a lot of is reverse osmosis style filtering. So you're running through a membrane, and it separates the alcohol from the malted products, and then that alcohol can be turned into seltzer because technically it's a malted beverage, yeah. and you just add water to it. Um, I know a lot of breweries are doing it that way. Um, another option too is you can, you know, brew an unfermentable wort almost and have a yeast strand that dies off at 0.5% alcohol. And there's a lot more science into that one that I've looked into. It's interesting. Kind of the more like large scale version of brewing a lot more any beers. But the, the few I've tried done that way haven't tasted all the great. I think Guinness makes one that way and I've tried it and it just tastes like sweet malted water that's what i was gonna say if you're not getting i mean if, if you're brewing with unfermentable even even at a low gravity unfermentable well you're still gonna have that i, I feel like that under attenuated flavor uh yeah it's tea uh, that flavor right. yeah there's a thickness to it that stays on your tongue yeah. that you can, can't get rid of yeah the the membrane though seems legit but then that's equipment that you gotta buy uh, right. And, yeah. yeah, it's not cheap. Um, I want to say Pro Brewer in the, in the commercial side makes one, the smallest one that makes maybe 60 grand. It's not you know, a cheap investment for anybody that my size. Yeah. <laughs> Sizable. 
there's a there's a weird changeover in the home brewing to a professional brewing market where the cost of equipment which you think it should cost and then you go and actually buy it and you get terrified to use two extra zeros on to the end what you think it should cost and it took me three or four years of this industry going i should now expect this to happen um what was a good example it was a fitting for our canning line oh it was an air actuator for our canning line to push the can from the main line into the seamer and that little actuator which moves two inches it looks like you can buy it at you know any you know commercial store commercial store it's a one-off product from the canning company and it costs two thousand dollars oh. <laughs> you're thinking of, it looks like it's an eight dollar piece of equipment two thousand dollars that's it's the name of the game for the brewing industry and i i can't i still don't get used to it every time that something breaks i'm just i have it i have a migraine every time something breaks <laughs> and it happens if there's like more a, than you think there's got to be a market for like like secondary random like pieces <laughs> i don't know, like like little little yeah, actuators or something well, like I that mean, you can charge like 500 bucks for them or something you know there, there's a there's a huge secondary like, market you for, for... In your, uh... I, I don't yet you I don't, we have friends your brewing setup for home no i don't need them no, i don't use those them things yet. are think, the uh, most evil things yeah <laughs> Like like price wise, say, we will, do you ever do them? They're great. Yeah, but they're expensive. If you do use tri clamps, they're great, but you're never going to actually keep the gaskets around because you're going to lose them all the time. And then the tri clamps, you're going to lose those all the time somehow. I don't know how. Oh, I, I feel like I buy twenty or thirty tri clamps every month, and I still don't have enough tri clamps. I don't know where they go. I get thrown away. I don't think they disappear. It's just you never have enough of them. It's it's an evil, evil thing in the brewing industry. It's kind of a joke in the professional <laughs> realm. It's like a ten millimeter socket. <laughs> nice. For like the auto industry, right? Yeah. No, I we were just talking to Brandon, uh, another friend of ours, um, and I think he was talking about setting up his new electric system with tri clamps and. I thought of that like it just seems too much for the homebrew homebrew side but i actually had it in my homebrew system back when i was doing it and i enjoyed it i had the cam locks and the tri clamps and i converted everything over to the tri clamps uh once you get used to the, the method of putting them on the fold over it's real simple yeah. and easy but you know the home brewing thing has changed so much since i was last doing it i, I had a you know single tiered system with two pumps on it three vessels made from kegs kegel system and now i'm seeing these you know brazil systems that are all in one and they're pretty mm -hmm. badass truthfully i kind of like them i was i um, have the my single tier. one we actually have on the brewery that we used yeah i i have the single tier kegel system and i actually yeah, single tier. uh i just I, i'm looking a lot at those. of room it's a lot of weight yep yep a lot of pain in the ass but uh, I'm looking at these all-in-ones and we're talking about, you know, in the future when we move, um, if I get them. And that's what Brandon Edwards in chat, I think he has a couple of different all-in-ones that are that are really cool. And um, I'm, I'm interested in them. But, yeah, a lot of new innovations in homebrewing in the, in the, in the recent years. It's like you know, all-in-one yeah. systems really allows you to brew inside your kitchen. I mean – that was never yep. possible. I was always out in my garage in the middle of wintertime, freezing my ass off brewing beer when I wanted to do it. I fucking never did in summertime. I always did in the wintertime for some screwed up reason. 
See, that's what you get. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the cook in the house, so I brew in my kitchen. I've, I started brewing in my kitchen. I've always brewed in my kitchen, right on my stovetop. Uh, and all of my friends are out there in the wintertime freezing their ass off, and I'm sitting in my kitchen with my feet up. Uh, <laughs> so. So jealous. I don't, I don't miss brewing in the winter at all it's all good yeah, you see in your garage i'll bundle up in the corner trying to get heat yeah it's 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 you know it's, it's traditional brewing though it's kind of those things you remember because you know a lot of all the dumb things i've done home brewing i always remember brewing in the winter time yep. even to this day and it's, it's you always remember the hard things of brewing you don't remember the easy things and yeah it's one of those still to this day i hate graining out that's one thing i hate absolutely hate doing yeah i just don't enjoy it i don't think any brewer really no. does no, we, we get to brew, uh, you know, one or two times a year, we get to, to go down to one of the local breweries and brew on their big system. And, and you can tell, you know, when it hits that step in the process, um, all of us that have done it before just kind of disappear and, uh, you know, <laughs> take that opportunity to go find a beer yep. or you're or left there with the, the rake in your hand. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do the collaborations. Like when we do collaborations with breweries, they're like, "Okay, let's do the picture. Okay, you can grain out now. There's your work. You're done now." It's every yeah. brewery, <laughs> including us, when we do collaborations. Is there a, is there like a, an ingredient or like something that you want to use like during like a collab brew or like that you haven't used that that you're like, you just you're, you're itching to to use and you just haven't gotten the the chance to yet or anything? Like even like some crazy. So, even. I mean, there's some cloud brews that we've talked about in the past that have been possible. There's one beer we're talking about making with somebody called a miso goza. So using uh, miso like, paste in yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also koji rice in the mash, which we're familiar with using koji rice in the mash. It actually does some pretty cool things, but. Uh, I've never used miso hmm. in the boil side. We talked about doing it. Doing a salted gozo of miso. Uh, I mean, you, you, uh, just the umami. God, yeah. I don't know, man. That sounds fucked up. <laughs> 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 you know, Brian, uh, Brian and I joke around all the time. We've about had, we've had worse out. ideas that turned out way better. <laughs> uh, we, we've always joked around about doing uh, um, a, a roast beef uh, New England IPA called Ajus. Um, and, and, and to go for that, that umami, um, meaty, I think uh, I just need to do it. I think I need flavor. to stop joking about it and just try it. So actually, we'll I have an interesting beer right now. And so uh, a, this one actually uses Koji rice no, I don't know in the mash. So it's called koji mochi. So we actually use koji rice in the mash and mash longer for about four hours. And Whoa. there's a bacteria in the, the koji rice that actually breaks down the sugars into more simple chain sugars. So it makes it more fermentable. And in turn, it also adds a little nami flavor to it too, which we really enjoy. This beer, when we add the fruit to it, kind of crisps it up, but still kind of like white and sweet at the same time. It does a really weird thing up here. We're, uh, Doing a logger next with uh, koji rice too, which is going to be a fun little side project. Also, did uh That's... before you started using that, did you do any like research into what you thought would happen, or was it just like 
All right, Koji Rice into the mesh ton. Like, let's see what we get. So we're in Novi, and Novi is one of those cool places where uh, a majority of the population is actually either from um, Japan, China, Thailand, or India. Hmm. And it's it's a really cool location where we're at because we have literally the best mall, Japanese grocery stores, restaurants, Indian stores, restaurants by us. So um, we get a lot of flavors to work with. A lot of customer clientele are either Toyota, Nissan, or Hyundai. So we get a lot of Japanese clientele. So like we get these flavors brought to us, we get things brought to us from customers that like us. So we always are trying new things. And Koji is one of those things where like, you know, this could work for brewing, why not try it? And uh, what we do make it, you know, the customers that do enjoy it, really like it. Um, Yuzo fruit is another one of the ones I never knew about until we had a customer bring us one. Um, there's mochi, I mean, mochi itself. I, I never discovered mochi until about five years ago. I had a customer bring me a pack of mochi and it was the, like life-changing experience. I've never had ice cream or desserts like that before. And that was really the inspiration for is. that beer I just showed. So mochi is uh, like a rice ball filled with ice cream. Mm -hmm. And it's the two weirdest oh. textures you've ever had, but they're weird in a good way that I, it's hard to explain. If you ever go to a, any grocery store, see if you can find a mochi ball. It's, it's so good. Okay. Um, it's like a handheld like cream puff ice cream. Yeah, it's like the the outside is like a it's like a rice paste, so it's almost like a uh, like a fondant, like a thick frosting kind of, you know. So it's if I'm thinking of the right thing. Yeah, um, you are. Yeah, yeah, yes, it's yeah. it's it's super interesting. Uh, usually covered in a little bit of powdered sugar, so you don't get your fingers sticky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They beat the shit out of it. It's you got you got to you you live like two blocks away from Pacific Rim. Go find mochi. They, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's 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 a rice dessert. That that's neat though. I I still I I still don't understand the jump from mochi to koji rice and beer, but sure, man. <laughs> so, mochi koji rice is actually used in a lot of process in Japan. So it's actually yeah. in mochi dough. So that was kind of why we actually put it in the beer to begin with, because it was a mochi idea beer. And we realized the rice had some fermentable capabilities to it, had some good bacteria to it. So it's kind of fun to play with. And if you look into production of Toji itself, it's one of the coolest things that's actually produced. There's a really long video on YouTube, and I recommend watching it if you're really bored in the middle of the night and can't sleep. Push the I, I didn't know your crossover. Yeah. You know, I, I know that mochis are, or koji, you know, is 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 the whole like uh, the, the, what is it? It's a fermentation. Uh, well, it's it's a it's a fungus, right? That grows it's, on rice. It's a lactic acid fermentation style. Yeah, it's yeah. a fungus that lives in the rice, and it's um, it's really beneficial for making most of the things that you're knowing in Japanese cooking, such as soy sauce. Uh, sake is one of them. Right. Um, a lot of those. I mean, it's it's almost universally used and. I really did not know much about the history until I dove into using it. It was kind of cool to see how much of culinary history in Japan is kind of locked onto that product. Yeah, if you want to give us the link for that video, I'd love to watch it and <laughs> yeah, post it too for for anybody watching the show that wants to watch it too. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I've always wanted to try making sake. It's, it's even worse watching soy sauce making videos. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I've actually, it's another yeah, one of the things. Really, our inspiration I, for us. 
Go ahead. Oh, yeah, our inspiration for us is really just kind of what's locally around us. And that's one of those few things that just kind of, you know, we have around us. It's just available. Um, and then a lot of other inspiration comes from us just doing stupid things and getting drunk at night and having dumb ideas when we talk between ourselves and brewers. I mean, as you guys know, when you sit around, you know, five, 10, 15 beers deep, and you're in the middle of the woods, there's three of you guys, there's brewers, <laughs> ideas just kind of flow. Yep. I was talking with some friends of ours that, that own a brewery out here, and I, earlier on in COVID when this started, and I said, you know, we just got drunk and came up with this crazy idea, and they said, how do you think our brewery started? So, I get it. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, so is that beer, uh, is that something they have available now or that, that uh, Koji Mochi or is that something out of your stash? That's out of my stash. Uh, actually, the beer we currently have now is I'm drinking is the Fasting the Heart. And that's actually mm -hmm. available in cans right now online and um, at the brewery. Uh, that's Sabro, Simcoe, and Galaxy Hops, New the Cell IPA. Right and Koji Mochi, I'm probably going to brew that in the next month or so. So that'll probably be showing up in August, I'm guessing. Awesome. Have you, you uh, used any hops recently that like aren't, you know, probably available on, on like the homebrew scale or anything? Something like, like something uh, new. Yeah. Oh, so I am a big component. I'm a big fan of Michigan hops. Um, so what? Uh, Michigan's Tawar for growing a particular variety of hops, North Cashmere, uh, Chinook, and uh, Centennial. Um, we grow those three hops are the best here in the state than anywhere else around the world. Um, the Cashmere from Michigan is hands down the best Cashmere in the world. And it is very available um, on the uh, on the homebrew scale. Um, uh, top hops of uh, Goodridge, Michigan, which is just north of me here, grows the best cashmere in the state. And they do sell on homebrew sizes. So I think one pound and I think down to half pound sizes too. Um, cool. Michigan Hop Alliance, I'm not sure if they're available on the homebrew side. They might be soon. I had to talk to Mike Tanzini, he's their, their rep for me over here. Um, they might be doing it, but they're, they have a huge farm up in, um, outside of Traverse City, I want to say in Sutton, Michigan, and they grow phenomenal cashmere, phenomenal cascade. Uh, their uh, Chinook is pure pineapple. Um, Michigan Chinook, if you have a pineapple in a beer, that is the hop to use. It's, it's That's crazy. not the black pepper you get from the Cascadian. It's, it's just pure pineapple. It's, it's hard to explain. That's the same thing with the cashmere. The cashmere is it's a really complex hop. It's almost like melon, mango, pineapple explosion. And if you use it just right in dry hop, if you use it in biotransformation and fermentation, the flavors just pop so well, and it's amazing to think that this, this hop grows in Michigan. And it's like not a, you know a Citra variety or a New Zealand Galaxy or Australian Galaxy or New Zealand Nelson. It's Michigan has Tawar, I guess that grows good hops. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my rant about Michigan hops. I, I'm a big fan, big proponent of Michigan hops, and I, I love seeing that we are growing some of the best in the country or the Apple world. I've been uh. I've been seeing Michigan copper pop up a lot lately too. 
Um, Ferndale. That's one of the hops uh, that's always really a Yeah. Really? Okay. They they do a solo copper uh, beer that I think yeah, is just I, like one of their their best IPAs. Yeah, I love it. I need to try another copper hop beer. It's been a while. Every time it's available, I always miss out on buying it. I just I don't know what happens. It's I want to buy some and then it just becomes available and then not available. The weird thing about buying hops in a commercial size is that um, it's real hit and miss. The certain varieties that are really small production go instantly. So there's one particular hop that I absolutely love. I can never get a hold of. If I do buy it, I buy as much as I can. It's called Strata. Uh, if you guys yeah. are familiar mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Strata in the, in the commercial brewing world is one of those hops that you, if you, someone offers you like three, four, five hundred pounds at twenty dollars a pound, you grab it because you're not going to get it from any other way possible. That's usually what happens to me. I have to like, if you know, one of my friends pops up out of the middle of nowhere, is like, dude, I have this contract of Strata that I can't get rid of right now. Uh, it's twenty dollars a pound. I got hundred pounds. You have to buy it because you're not going to find it any other way. Um, Citra. There was a shortage of Citra back. In 2018 or 2017, that just rocked the brewery industry. Um, when Labatt released that Citra Labatt Blue, um, they literally bought the entire Citra supply of the country. And wow. I remember I was paying almost $30 a pound in commercial sizing for Citra. Wow. It was painful. And then luckily that, that fad kind of fell off and Citra is super available right now. Thank God. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your favorite way to use Strata? Like, uh, like what's your recommendation there? So Strata, I like it either for biotransformation. So when we dry hop our hazy IPAs, we will do our first dry hop operate around 1028. And then, um, each year we do it right there, we get explosive reaction. Reaction, but it was, you'll, you'll see nucleation to the point where it almost wants to come out of the tank, blows right out of the tank. Um, we do that first dry hopping. That basically is, you know, causing the you know the proteins to lock on and you know create some crazy flavors. Strata mm-hmm. at that point is so pungent, so strong that if you dry hop it anything else, it's going to overpower it, <laughs> uh, including Nelson and Galaxy. I've seen it overpower. So we try to biotransform it uh, with Strata if we're using it. Um, I do like Strata by itself. Um, so I'll do a second dry hop with it two days later, right before terminal. And then I really like doing this. And I like spunning my tanks once I do my second dry hopping. And if in the home brewing world you're able to sponge under pressure or, or, or um, dry hop under pressure, it holds the flavors mm-hmm. in. Uh, if you're able to carbonate in your homebrew tank up to you know 15 PSI or one bar, um, the, the protein head retention is night and day difference. It's um, We've noticed in our system, mm-hmm. if we don't close off at the right time, we don't get that head retention that we normally get if we close off at the right time. And, mm-hmm. you know, two, being at our scale, we're not really using that much CO2, but, you know, not having to carve a beer up, you know, from 0.0 to 2.8, with CO2 versus 2.2 to 2.8 with, you know, CO2, you save a lot yeah. in the long run. Now, you go through 800 pounds every three weeks if we don't do it that way. If we do it that way, we go through 200 pounds. That's awesome. It's like the, uh, like the ideal PSI to spun at, do you think? Um, we've been playing with it. I really like one bar. 
Um, okay. One bar for me it seems the yeast doesn't seem to get too stressed, especially for a five. Um, some yeast varieties, if you have one bar, they don't seem to like it. Um, another thing we're uh, playing with a lot is pressure loggers. Um, so using, uh, I think it's OYL32 or 37, which is cerveza yeast from Omega. Don't quote me on that. But cerveza yeast from Omega, they, um, that yeast is a workhorse. It's great for you know, doing pressure loggers. If you run it at 62 degrees at like 5 to 10 PSI, it primaries out in five days. And it's super clean. Wow. Uh, I recommend using it all day long. Um, and then because the experience are entertaining as hell. I don't know if you guys have played with those yet. <laughs> I had a, a couple of years ago, I had a whole yeah summer full of experimenting with uh, stuff that I got from like straight from a guy over in Norway. And, uh, and uh, I, I don't know if they were like pure or whatever. Some of them were like super interesting and some of them I got like super nail polish out of. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun summer, but um, Jason really likes to use Lutra. Uh, we use them in production size for seltzers. about a year. Yeah. I've never actually used one seltzer before. It was kind of intriguing. Our seltzers, what we do are, um, we use champagne yeast, and I've been also playing with the spilling yeast just recently on seltzers in smaller scale to see if there's a faster turnaround time. The yeah, name so of the game with seltzer is you produce it in... You, no, you produce it in the what? Sorry. Wait, the seltzers, you're trying to produce them as fast as possible and you get them out. It's it's kind of what we're trying to do with them. And when you have them in for three weeks fermenting out, it takes tank space. I really don't like making them uh, sell. It's so freaking stupid. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I like them. I mean, they're fine. They're easy to drink. Again, kind of targeting that lower ABV thing, something that's different. But my wife likes them. Um, so I, I, I keep them on tap. Um, but we actually, uh, we interviewed Lance Shaner from Omega um, last year, and uh, it was right around the time they had released, right after they Anza had released. released and... Yeah, the it was after uh, Lutra. Yeah. yeah, but they they come out with proper seltzer, and, and Lance recommended that, like a package of Lutra and a, a packet of proper seltzer. And, I mean, it's turning seltzers around in a day and a half, two days, like it's done. Uh, wow. It's just ridiculous. They they go off and the next day it's clean. So, um, so I, I did a few of them. I, I like Lutra. It's a it's a good clean bike yeast. Uh, We've done a few pseudo loggers with them with that particular strain. I've been pretty impressed yeah. with it. Um, good like biology's version. I asked, I forget what they call that one. The Gulu. Is it Gulu from Omega? Bootleg Biology's version of their uh, pseudologer strand is also pretty intriguing also. I think that's Oslo. There's an Oslo and there's uh, something else. Yeah, I still think yeah, I have some Oslo. I, I, I will actually say, what was it like 20, 2019, when 2018, 2019, when all the bike strains started coming out? And I think everybody yeah. started using them. Milk to Funk was real big out for a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember going and, to festivals and, and seeing all these different, you know, um, breweries coming out with it. And I, I just feel like it got abused uh, and it didn't go well because everybody was like, I can ferment it hot and fast. And I mean, you're still <laughs> putting out shit beer. So um, our biggest problem with it was it wasn't sustainable. 
Um, it's a great use to have, but if you have someone there 24 hours a day, it's a great use. If you have someone there for only 12 hours a day, it's not a good use. Um, you know, the one biggest problem we're having with it is hitting that right dry hop time. And it's too it fast. wasn't consistent. So sometimes we would have, you know, it'd be too fast. Other times it'd be slower. So like we would have fermentation that would be finished in 14 hours sometimes. So we would hit our dry hop, you know, we miss our dry hops uh, time. And there's other times where we have, you know, 24, 25 hours of time. And it just wasn't consistent enough for us to actually like using it. And we used it for a solid year. We used Hornadel, um, Oslo, um, Boss. I think two different versions of Boss. Um, I think it was Google was one of the other ones. And there was another off one from um, East Bay that we grew up. I forget the name of it. That was a really weird variety, almost like green apples and long run, which I don't know what you. I don't like this beer, um, <laughs> but yeah, we we kind of pushed it out of our, our program just because it wasn't consistent. And then British Five for us has just been such a workhorse that it works so well for other beers. The only time we bring in other yeast is for like West Coast projects or um, for our higher end style projects or for saison and wild beer projects is when we do different yeast varieties. Sure. But mostly we stick to British Five. Right on. I think we're just over an hour and a half, um, or almost to an hour and a half, I should say. And uh, I really probably should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, it's been going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast. Um, yeah, usually does go fast. That's a good thing, though. I've only gone through next, four years. So. Yeah. Only four. Uh, for our next show, we're, we're going to be talking with, um, I think, gluten-free uh, homebrew supply, right? Yeah, uh, Brian. Yeah. Have you ever done a gluten-free beer? Uh, yeah. Um, so my sister is gluten tolerant, so they she forced me to make her a, a rice-based beer. She's not pretty good. Uh, think about making it again. We just did our first homebrew uh, gluten-free beer last weekend. Yeah, a weekend ago, whatever. Was... Uh, what was it? it? Was buckwheat? Did you guys do sorghum or? I yeah, it was, it was sorghum, buckwheat, sorghum buckwheat, and oatmeal. Quinoa? I think oatmeal. Okay, or did it have quinoa? Yeah, something. Oatmeal? I thought I saw quinoa in there. The the the, the guy that we're interviewing next week kind of sent us a kit, um, and he milled it for us. So we didn't. We just kind of uh, took it and followed his instructions. Um, it was interesting. I know there's a lot more options now when it comes to you know picker malts for for brewing you know gluten free beers because it's been almost five years since my last attempt at one. I literally only had rice syrup and sorghum syrup available to me at the time. And I know now that revisiting it's probably a smarter idea because considering how much oat malt I use at my place, it's readily readily available. Um, I can't remember if actually spelt spelt is not on a list of gluten free products, is it? It's a wheat base, so it's very easy to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tick. I need to revisit it. I mean, we do a lot of rice stuff now, so I know that rice is you know doable. Um, the biggest kind I have is the inter the contamination of our system. I don't know if we're legally allowed to call it gluten free if we run it on our actual system. So that's mm -hmm. kind of oh, interesting. Okay. Up in air. 
It's like um, a Burger King. The place killer itself is really like never sold burgers. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't reduce what I think you can even call it. Yeah. No, so that, that's uh, that's coming up next week. We're gonna um, I'm gonna finish that beer in the next day or two uh, and get it kegged and carbonated, and uh, uh, so we'll have gluten free. Ryan runs a he, he runs a homebrew a gluten free homebrew supply store over on the east side there, yeah. um, in the state. So I think it's in Troy. We're at on the yeah. east side. Is it Troy? Okay. I, I think it's Troy. Let me let me pull it up. It's called Gluten Free Homebrew Supply. Um, Really? Is it like part of Catherine Cork or is it a whole new one? It is, I believe it's a whole new one. Yeah, that's not the right logo. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not finding it, Brian. You have, uh, you have this link, don't you? Uh, I have it somewhere. Yeah. I just don't have it handy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think he's in Troy, um, Troy, Michigan. So, um, okay, we'll have to we'll have to find it. I'll, uh, it'll be up next week if you follow us on Facebook. Yeah, we'll definitely have all this information next week. Yeah. Uh, we're okay. gonna be on talking about gluten free beer, um, and then I don't think we have anything else booked for the rest of July yet. Uh, in August, we're gonna be at uh, Michigan Homebrew Festival. Uh, and we're working on a couple other awesome. shows, with a, a couple other breweries around. So, um, so yeah, Brandon, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, if yeah, anybody's over in the Nova guys. area, go check out Ascension. Uh, like I said, I was there a few weeks ago. Great beer. Um, great lots of food. Different. Yeah. I only got to try like, uh, the soup and the, the onion rings though. So, but the mini looked cool. Like I need to go back. We were doing like a, a that was like a 10 stop brewery hop day. So it was like, even more room for beer. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So thanks again. We're going to play the stupid outro. We talked through the outro. It's all fine. Um, well, we'll have a, a new outro in a couple of weeks. It's exciting. New intro outro. Yeah. Right, thanks all right.